you may find this hard to believe, but when I was a kid, um, I used to have a hard time getting along with my little sister. <laughs> There's three years between us, and we fought like, as we say, cats and dogs, right? And so we used to argue and fight and all that sort of stuff. And I remember when we were real small, one of, one of my mom's remedies for this as the peacemaker in our family was to put us in the front yard holding hands, walking in a circle, shouting as loud as she could make us, I love my brother, I love my sister. Uh, and she was trying her hardest to will that into our heart. Uh, I think all it made us want to do was to fight more and maybe, maybe plot against her, I'm not sure. But, um, but it was well-intentioned, right? Uh, she was trying to be a peacemaker. You know, the truth is, our world is filled with conflict and very few peacemakers. Very few peacemakers. Many people would rather be viewed as a winner or right or getting their point across, right, than viewed as a peacemaker. Many people would rather have revenge than reconciliation. Many people would rather just not say a word and let bygones be bygones as opposed to actually doing the hard work of peacemaking. Well, the beatitude we're in this morning in Matthew 5, 9, as we're getting close to the end of our series, gets very much into your personal business this morning. So I don't mean to get into your business this morning. If I do, uh, it's, but God's word will get, definitely get into our personal business this morning because this is a beatitude that deals with your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with others, other people's relationship with one another, and your role there. It's a very personal beatitude. So look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, 9. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Remember, the Beatitudes are the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new with us, we've been going through the Beatitudes one by one for several weeks now. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon basically saying this, Here's what life is supposed to be like in the kingdom. And the kingdom is the rule and the reign of Jesus, the rule and the reign of God. And as God, as the Lord Jesus Christ, rules in your heart and rules in your life, the Sermon on the Mount tells you what that's supposed to look like in your practical life and how you deal with others and how you deal with God and all that sort of stuff. Well, the Beatitudes are like the introduction to that. And they describe, in a nutshell, the characteristics of a heart that's yielded to Jesus as king. So if you say, well, right now I don't know if my heart is very much a peacemaking heart. Well, that's one or two reasons. Even when you're not a Christian or you're not walking with God at this moment, right? It, it, because that is the heart of being yielded to Jesus. And if we're not yielding to Jesus in that moment, we're, we're not a Christian. Or at that particular time, we're in rebellion against God. We're, we're in sin. So it's always a, a, a sin issue. These are supposed to be characteristics that are in our life, but also that we're growing and that we're maturing in. And some of them, some of them are hard. But the truth is, all of them are impossible apart from God's grace actively at work in his, our life with the power of the Holy Spirit. And none of them, any, and, and it, just like all the rest of them, peacemaking, being a peacemaker is part of that. It's the fruit of walking with God. It's the fruit of a heart changed by the gospel. But it's not something even believers are perfect in. We fail in these things. We, we have to struggle and wrestle through it. But the direction of our life, the bent of our life, the attitude of our heart is supposed to be embracing this. And when it's not, there's a problem. And for some people, the problem is very clear. They're not a Christian. They may say they're a Christian. They may, they may talk a good game. They may go to church, but they're not pure in heart. They're not merciful. They're not a peacemaker. They don't know God. 
And for other times, even as believers, we struggle, we wrestle. If we get away from the Lord, if we fail in walking with Him, we won't bear this fruit as abundantly as we should. Just like the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If we quench the Spirit's work in our life, we won't bear that fruit as well as we should. But if our lives are void of that fruit, our lives are void of the Holy Spirit. We have to be honest about that this morning. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, he's being very clear this morning about what a characteristic is in the life of people that are children of God. So let's break it down this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Two very clear halves. We're just going to look at them one by one this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are people who promote peace with God. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, we know what a peacemaker is, right? You know, there can be no real peace without God. There can be no real peace without God. The same thing that causes problems between God and people causes problems between people and people. It's this little three-letter word called sin. <laughs> and if you can look over at your life and think of times where you've had conflict and there's been issues and there's been divisiveness between you and someone else, I can promise you there was sin in the picture somewhere. And just like the relationship between us and God has been ruptured by sin, in the same way our relationships with others get ruptured by sin. Because the vertical line has been severed, the horizontal lines get severed because we reflect our relationship with God, listen, in our relationship with His image bearer. They reflect God's image. We reflect our relationship with God many times and how we relate to others. And so peacemaking has a lot to do with our relationship with God. And peacemakers are people who promote, first and foremost, peace with God. See, by being at peace with God, first, first of all, the way we do that is by being at peace with God. And the way we have that is by belief in the gospel, right? Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we talked about this at Advent, how sin has ruptured our relationship with God. We're at war with God, and humanity is. God doesn't lose wars. You don't want to be on the other end of a war with God. And the only way to have peace, the only way to have shalom, the only way to have that with God is by the, His means. And that means is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He has provided the way to peace with God, and it is through a personal relationship with Jesus. He bore our sin on the cross. He took the punishment we deserved. He, he died to set us free. He, he died to, to transform us and make us holy. He raised from the dead. We put our faith and trust in Jesus, who lived the life we can't live, died the death we deserve to die, and God transforms our heart and life, and we have peace with God through Jesus. It starts there. We, we can't talk, you can't get into peacemaking and what it really means without first understanding you've got to be at peace with God. The reason some people constantly have friction in their life between others, the reason some people can't get along with anybody is because they don't get along with God. The reason some people, life is a trail of broken relationships is because it is a reflection of the most important relationship in their life and that is with God and how it has been severed by the fall and has never been healed through faith in Jesus Christ. It starts by being at peace with God. Peacemakers promote peace with God, and we do that, first of all, by being at peace with God. Secondly, by advancing peace with God. We believe the gospel, we advance the gospel. Listen to this, Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5 talks about the, um, excuse me, Ephesians 6, um, talks about the, the um, armor of God. And verse 15 talks about the shoes of the armor. 
And it says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. What does that mean? We're supposed to be always ready to share the gospel, right? And he calls it the gospel of peace, right? It's the gospel of peace. It's the good news that fallen man can have peace with God. It's it's the good news that Jesus has come to make peace by the blood of his cross. And we're supposed to always be ready, as one pastor said, to move with the gospel. We're supposed to always be ready to share the gospel. Our feet are supposed to be shod not with the gospel, but with the readiness of it. With the readiness of it. Being ready to advance and share the gospel. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Great passage here. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, that's Christians, to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you're a Christian, God has reconciled you to himself. He's made peace, and now he's given you something called the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, he's going to define it for us, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, that's me and you, The message of reconciliation. What's the message of reconciliation? The gospel of peace. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors or representatives of Christ. For Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, God implores, he makes his appeal, he makes his appeal to humanity to be reconciled to him through his church, through his people. Did you know that? Jesus died on the cross and has risen again and is ready to reconcile people and God. But we are the bearers of the message of reconciliation. You say, well, that seems kind of, I mean, is that a good plan, God? You know how miserable we are at this? You know how often we fail at this? You know how many missed conversations we have? You know how, what poor ambassadors we can be? But here's the thing, there's no plan B. There's no plan B. So what happens if plan A don't work, right? What happens if we, if we don't represent Christ's will? What happens if, if we don't take the gospel to our neighbors? What happens if we don't take the gospel to the nations? What happens? There is no plan B. There's only plan A. And God has ensured that plan A will be accomplished. He's promised that it will be accomplished. Here's the thing about reconciliation. It requires two willing parties. Do you know that? If a husband and wife decide they're going to separate, you know what it takes to put them back together? A willing husband and a willing wife. A willing wife and a willing husband. Not just one. It takes two willing parties. If two friends have it out and they decide they don't want to be friends anymore, you know what it takes to rebuild a friendship? Two willing people, right? It it takes two to make that happen. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to a ruptured relationship between God and people, there is always one willing party. Always one. God has made that known by sending His Son to make peace, the Bible says. We're going to look at the verse in a few minutes. Through the blood of His cross. So God's willing, right? He's, he's, made the, he's out there, right? He's, he's put it out there. He's paved the way. He has sent the way. He is the way. He's extended His arms in grace and mercy and love. So we know there's always one willing party. Now, we're not willing in our natural self. We need the Holy Spirit to move on our heart and our life. But here's the thing. The fact that we know that there's always one willing party, how much more should that move us to find out where the other willing parties are? How much should that move us to spread and to share the gospel knowing that God is willing? You say, I've got this friend and they're not a Christian. They don't go to church, but I don't know. 
I don't know. I, don't, I just don't think they would be open to it. I don't think they'd be open to the conversation. You're missing the point. The point is God is open to it. The point is God is willing. The point is, and that's the biggest part of the deal, right, is, is God, right? So we know we've got him over here extending an invitation, and so we pray for them, and we pray for God to move on their heart, but we've got to share it with them. See, this should motivate us to pray for lost people, to invite them to church and to small groups where they can hear the gospel, to share the gospel with them, to share our story with them. You have family, you have coworkers, you have neighbors that live next door that need the gospel of peace. They have a ruptured relationship with God. And for us to not take the gospel to them, for us to not share our story with them, for us to not be a peacemaker here is dereliction of duty as ambassadors of Christ. It is utter failure. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Listen, it's the whole point. It's the whole point. If we're not fishing, we're not following right, right? He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Part of the, being a disciple of Christ is that we're supposed to be advancing the gospel of peace, praying for the gospel of peace to go forward. That's why we give to missions. That's why we, do, that's why we, 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 we give to a gospel-preaching church. That's why we invite people to church. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we share our story, share our gospel. That's why we build relationships. It's always there. We want to see people get right with God and you are designed you are outfitted by God to reach the particular people in your life in your life we're not responsible for the decision they make but we are responsible to give them the opportunity to make the decision do you understand that and that's a big responsibility Say, so we're not responsible for them to, to get them to make a decision Whew, right but you know how big a responsibility is that we, have, we do have a responsibility to take the gospel to them, to get them in front of the gospel, to try, to try? Well, sure we are. It's a matter of obedience. We have that responsibility. And we want, as a church, every person in Greater Orlando, every person in Baldwin Park and Winter Park and Maitland and Winter Springs and Conway, and if I haven't named your neighborhood yet, I'm trying, Castleberry, right? Lake Nona, wherever you come from, every person in greater Orlando to have multiple opportunities to hear the gospel and respond to it. You know what that takes? A lot of gospel conversations. I heard somebody say this week, you know, the church has tried everything. We've tried smoke and lights, and we've tried everything under the sun to penetrate the lostness in our neighborhoods. And we're not even making a dent. This one particular church was growing vastly. They baptized like 300 people this year. He said, we didn't even do a fraction of 1% of penetrating the lostness in our area. So we tried everything else. Maybe we need to try training up thousands of people, millions of people to actually share their faith. You know? Peacemakers. 2017, at our church, you will have training coming down the pike. You will... Have opportunity to be trained in how to share your faith. That will be coming soon. Um, if you're a, a leader, if you're a volunteer, if you serve in some way here, get ready to sign up. It is expected. I want everyone who serves in any capacity at this church to know how to share their faith and for us to know you know how to share your faith. Now, I don't have a responsibility to make sure you share your faith. I can't do that. I can't make that decision. That's the decision part. But as an equipper of God's people, I do have a responsibility to make sure you are given opportunity to be equipped to do so. So we're, we'll be focusing on that this year. I want you to take those opportunities. The only way to have more gospel conversions is to have more gospel conversations. 
And nobody's ever been saved by our good intentions. Nobody. There's nobody ever said, you know what? You know why I got saved? The good intentions of my neighbor. You know? They, there were so many times where they almost shared the gospel with me. I could just see the twinkling in their eye that Jesus must be in there somewhere. And I went home and just opened my Bible, read John 3.16 and got saved. That, that, that story does not exist. Right? Somebody said the old, the old quote, preach the gospel and if necessary use words. It's so silly. There is no gospel without words. The gospel is not something you live. It's an announcement of good news. It's a declaration of what God has done. We can live the impact of it on our life. You can't live the gospel. You can only share it. You can only share it. Peacemakers are people that want to put people in front of the gospel and the gospel in front of people so that people, we want to promote peace with God. We want to advance the gospel. We want to be a peacemaking people. And we have to start there. But peacemakers also promote peace among God's image bearers. See, when things are right vertically, you want things to be right horizontally. Jesus' half-brother James said, How can you love God, who you can't see, if you don't love your brother, whom you can see? And might I ask, how can you be at peace with God, whom you can't see, if you're unwilling to pursue peace with your brother, whom you can't see? I think it applies. Peacemaking begins with an attitude or a disposition of peace. There's, an, there's a disposition, there is an attitude that helps promote peacemaking. Do you understand that? There's an attitude that doesn't. One of my, growing up, I used to love Sesame Street. Love Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. And one of my favorite characters on Sesame Street was Cookie Monster. But other than that was Big Bird. But other than that was Oscar the Grouch. I liked Oscar the Grouch. He lived in a garbage can. Do you remember? He was a little green guy. He would pop up out of the lid and he was always grumpy. He was always just looking for something to argue about, fight about, to be snarky about. Some people live life that way. They don't live in a garbage can. But they, they, they interact with them. You'd think maybe they did wake up in one this morning because they're always in a bad mood, right? And they're always looking for something to fight about. They're always looking for something to argue about. They're always the devil's advocate. They're always the devil's advocate, right? So, well, you need the devil's advocate. Well, sometimes you play the devil's advocate enough, I start thinking you're the devil, Okay? They're always looking to be contrarian and they're easily offended, easily angered, defending their rights. Let me ask you, are you always looking for a fight or peace? It's likely that some churches have so much trouble with infighting and refusing to follow spiritual leadership because there are a lot of people and a lot of Christians that are lost. Excuse me, a lot of people that are lost and a lot of Christians that are in sin. The flesh likes to fight. The flesh likes to win. The flesh likes to bully and get what we want. Hebrews 12, 14, love this verse, says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We looked at that verse a couple of weeks ago. But look at the first part of it. Strive for peace with everyone. That's effort. That's attitude. That's intentionality. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. The Bible is interested in your pursuit. It's interested in your striving. It's interested in your effort, right? It doesn't take much to put forth effort, right? It doesn't take any talent to have effort. Attitude begins, it begins with attitude. It begins with our disposition. We have to beware of attitudes of selfishness and irritability and stubbornness that promote fighting. See, a peaceful disposition person is not a troublemaker in that sense. Let me read to you from Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's an eagerness for peace, an eagerness for unity, an eagerness for community. See, now, a troublemaker is literally the opposite of a peacemaker. This person is proud. They are not gentle. They are impatient. They do not bear with anyone in love. They, they're not eager to maintain unity, but rather eager to get what they want. I'm not talking about the person with an opinion. That's not the troublemaker. The, the troublemaker is the person with the opinion that's always right. The person above correction. The person above humility. It's like, in, you, know, it's like you watch a, a basketball team. Um, or a baseball team, go apply to any sport. But you've got this player on the team that the team can win, but if they didn't score, they're miserable. And everybody knows it. The team can lose, but if they had their best game ever, they're happy, right? And you look at that, and you're like, that kind of person usually causes problems on teams. Whether it's a, any sports team, they cause problems. And in the same way, we need to understand that's kind of the spirit of the troublemaker. They, they're only self-interested. They're not really about advancing the overall cause of the gospel or about healing the overall relationship. Or do it. They're really about whatever is in it for them in the end. And that leads to this troublemaking attitude, so the peacemaking attitude. See, some people live in a constant war. Constant war. They're always fighting somebody. They're always arguing with somebody. They're always gossiping about somebody. They're always slandering somebody. And you ever wonder, why do they do that? Let me tell you. I know. That's a big secret. I'll tell you why they're like that. Because they like it. I promise you, they like it. He said, I don't think they like it. Oh, if they do it all the time, they like it. I don't do anything all the time, but I don't like it. Do you? I mean, you know? No, they like it. Let's be clear. I'm not talking about peace at the expense of truth. Some people think the peacemaker is the passive, I don't know, just spiritual sissy that doesn't stand for anything, that won't, take a stand, that won't say anything, that just kind of sits back and tries not, I'm not talking about at the expense of God's truth. I'm not talking about the expense of the gospel. Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. So Jesus is very clear. There's some places where there will not be peace. That my, the sword of my gospel will come and will bring a sword. It will bring a division, sometimes even in families. We don't compromise the word of God. We have a standard. God's truth is the standard. Think about it. Even Jesus Made peace, the Bible says, by the blood of his cross. He didn't sweep sin under the rug. He had to deal with it. True peace deals with sin. True peace deals with justice. It doesn't ignore it. I love this quote from Terry Johnson, who wrote When Grace Transforms. He says, peace comes only through fulfilling the requirements of justice, not suspending them. He said, I don't know about that. Look at the gospel. You have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because God swept your sin under the rug, but because he nailed it to a cross. We have to be willing to deal with the issues. There's a difference, as I read in one article, there's a difference in somebody who is a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. God doesn't say be a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper, someone doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. Feather, feathers. They don't want to confront anybody over anything. Let, just let it go. Just let it go. Just let them run all over you. Let them manipulate. Don't confront them about that. Just let it go. That's not peacekeeping. Peacekeeping sometimes is awkward. Sometimes it's painful. See, peacemaking, excuse me, peacemaking, peacemaking means pursuing peace with others. 
means pursuing peace with others. The Bible has much to say about this. 1 Peter 3, 9 through 11. Let me read that to you. It should be on the screen. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. That's good news, right? For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Here he's talking about the context of enemies, right? He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Listen, you're seeking peace and you're pursuing peace has a lot to do with what comes out of our mouths. Our tongue plays a key role. You can't sow discord and peace at the same time. So how do I know if I'm, what, am I, what I'm sowing? If I'm, if I'm sowing peace or if I'm sowing discord? Check your garden. Right? Check your fruit. What are you harvesting? A lot of discord? A lot of infighting? A lot of trouble in your life? Constant? Maybe you're sowing it. Maybe you're sowing it. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We have a responsibility with as much as depends on us and only what depends on us to live peaceably with all. Some people you won't be able to live at peace with. You just won't. You can do what depends on you, but that's all you can do. You can't do what depends on them. That's not the way it works. There, there is a limit to these things. But there's questions we have to constantly be asking ourselves if we want to pursue peace with others. One question is, do I need to repent? Or do I need to forgive someone? Sometimes we're on the end that we need to receive forgiveness because we are the one who offended the other. We're the offender. Sometimes we're the offended and we need to extend forgiveness. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus said, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, you've wronged your brother. You've sinned against your brother. He knows it. He's holding it against you because you did, you did this. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know, if we took the Sermon on the Mount seriously, some of us wouldn't make it to the invitation this morning. We wouldn't have got through the first psalm. Because Jesus says, if you're offering your worship and there you remember, oh yeah, they're still holding that against me. I've never repented of that. I've never apologized for that. I've never made that right. I severed that relationship. He says, go. First deal with the horizontal issue. If you want to really be right vertically. Two weeks ago, we talked about the need to forgive others. We talked about mercy. Sometimes we need to be the people that are on the end of extending forgiveness. That means we absorb the penalty. You know, to forgive somebody, somebody's got to absorb the penalty. I heard one person say it this way. If you go out and I buy a new car and you go and you crash into my car and cause $20,000 worth of damage to the new car and I look at you and I say, don't worry about it. What am I really saying? I'm absorbing the cost. I have a choice. I can say, take insurance out of the picture. I can say it's your responsibility or I can say I'll absorb the responsibility. And anytime there's an offense... Somebody's got to pay. Do you understand that? The clearest way to see that is the cross. God didn't just look at us and say, forget about it. I don't hold it against you. I forgive you. No. Jesus went to the cross and he absorbed the penalty. 
He took it upon himself. And the only way forgiveness is possible is because Jesus bore the reproach. Jesus bore the shame. Jesus bore the pain. Jesus bore the consequences of our sin. The very wrath of God. And the only way that we can forgive others, truly forgive them, is if we absorb it. And we say, I'm not going to punish you for this. There's pain involved, and I'll just have to take it. That's how we forget. Somebody has to absorb the pain. We have to ask sometimes, do I need to be praying for somebody? Do I need to repent or forgive? Do I need to be praying for someone? Is there someone I'm unwilling to pray for? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. I think I've got it on the screen for you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Why do you think he said that? I can tell you, you can tell a lot about whether you love somebody or not, whether you're willing to pray for them. And Jesus said, you're even supposed to be willing to pray for your enemy, your persecutor. A great way to have God change your heart towards someone is to begin to pray for them. Pray God's work in their life. Pray God's blessing in their life. I can't pray that. That's where it starts. If you're to love your enemy and to pray for your persecutor, why do you think Jesus wants you to do for your brother you've got a rift with? And I'm not talking about praying in precatory psalms over him, right? Oh, God, bring the mountains down upon their head. I'm not talking about that. You're like, David did it. I'm like, you know, that's another sermon, right? I'm not talking about that, praying curses over them or something. Praying for them. Here's another question to ask yourself. Do I need to smile and speak to someone that I'm avoiding at all costs? See, the Bible says live at peace with them as much as depends on you. Sometimes you've mended fences, but you're still cold as ice to the person. Is that as much as depends on you? It doesn't take a lot of effort to be polite, to smile, to speak, to look someone in the eye and say, good morning, how are you? Pursue peace, he said. Peace is not the mere absence of conflict. It's the presence of peace. Imagine a husband and a wife, and they have fought, and they have fought, and they have fought for years over whatever major issues. House is like a war zone. And then one day, they just stop. They eat dinner. He goes to his area to watch TV. She goes to her area to watch TV. They talk about the weather. They talk about the kids. Other than that, they don't really talk. They just kind of go through their business. They're, she goes to work, he goes to work. They see each other for a few hours at the end of the day. They don't fight anymore. Somebody asks them, they say, did you and your wife, did you ever make peace over that? Oh, yeah, we never fight anymore. It's great. Did they make peace? No. If someone said it's the peace of a cemetery. It's a dead marriage at that point, really. And a lot of us, that's what we would just soon have. But peacemaking's hard. It, it, means, it, 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 it involves health. It involves health as much as depends on us. Who do you need to pursue peace with? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from or extend forgiveness to? But peacemaking also means advancing peace between others. It doesn't just mean extend peace with others. It means peace between others. It means sometimes you get in the middle of something. 
Sometimes being a peacemaker means stepping between people at war. It's a mom mending a fence between a dad and a son. It's, it's helping mend the fence between two co-workers, church members, brothers and sisters in Christ. Which means there has to be a willingness to confront. That's why it can be awkward, difficult work sometimes. It isn't easy. It can be uncomfortable. When you step between two people that are fighting, you might be the one with the black eye, right? Sometimes the peacekeeper, peacemaker gets the bloody nose. You say, well, what about minding my own business? Well, when two people, especially two people that claim to love Jesus, are constantly gossiping, bickering, and fighting with one another, it's your business. When brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly if they're in your faith family, it becomes your business. Especially when one comes to you and is always gossiping about this, then you've got to go hear it from the other one. The peacemaker is not the garbage can where they come and bring the trash. The peacemaker is the one that says, you need to go to them, and you need to go to them, and here's where you're right, and here's where you're wrong, and here's where you're right, and here's where you're wrong. Sometimes believers have to be the people in the middle of a situation that can give an honest assessment and say, hey, I know you're all ticked off about that, but here's where you're wrong, and you can't see it because you're so angry at them. I know you're all ticked off about that, but here's where you're wrong because you can't see it because you're so mad at it. And sometimes they're both mad at you by the end of it. Didn't say it was easy. Jesus was the greatest peacemaker there ever was. And he died on a cross. Peacemaking is not for the faint-hearted. It's like when you watch a pro baseball game, you know, and you, the, the pitcher does a little brushback pitch, another little brushback pitch. Finally, a few innings later, hits the batter, and they retaliate. The other team retaliates. The other, the other guy gets up the bat for the other team, and the other team's pitcher hits that guy's revenge, right? And everybody goes storming the field. You ever seen that happen? And then there's that one guy, he comes running out of left field, and he's just trying to keep the peace, right? And sometimes he ends up on the bottom of the pile with cleats in his face. Thus is the lot of the peacemaker sometimes. But that's okay. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. World may curse you. Jesus says he'll bless you. For you are called the sons of God. Let me ask you, are you a promoter of peace? Can I share with you, if we're always smarting off, if we're always the overly critical, condemning, putting others on full blast, whether that be at home or at work or on social media or anywhere else, let me just say to us, we can do better if that's the case. We will give an account for every word spoken, every email sent, every tweet tweeted and every Facebook post posted. There will not be anything left, no stone left unturned. We will give an account. Are we promoting peace with our words? It's one thing when God's word brings division. It's another thing when our personal views, preferences, and attitudes and tone do. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What does he mean by that? Well, family traits are obvious is really what he means. Family traits are obvious. D.A. Carson notes that there is a specific reason this says sons of God and not children of God. It's because in the Jewish culture, to say the son of was to specifically speak to the character of the individual reflected, the character of the parent reflected in the child. It's the reason he said son of and not children of. Because he wants to, he's saying this, you are reflecting the character of your father. See, our father is a peacemaker. 2 Corinthians 5.19 we read earlier. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God the Father is a peacemaker. Our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a peacemaker. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. 
should be on the screen for you. For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Our elder brother's a peacemaker. The Holy Spirit's a peacemaker. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The whole Godhead is a peacemaker. The Trinity is a peacemaker. You know, canon looks a lot like I did at his age. I've got the pictures to prove it. And that's not weird because he's my son, right? It's not weird that I can look at a picture from 1984 and a picture in 2017 and there will be a lot of similarities there because he's my son. However, there are other ways he bears my resemblance too. And some of those aren't as flattering to me or him. Sometimes I see my fears in him. My attitudes in him. Because see, he didn't just get his dad's dashing good looks. He got my sin nature. And my daddy was a sinner. And my granddaddy was a sinner. And my great-granddaddy was a sinner. And my great-great-granddaddy was a sinner. In fact, you might not know this. I don't know if y'all knew this. I don't think the search team knew this when they hired me. The entire Malone family trees is full of sinners. And worse than that, then my dad, he goes and he goes and he marries a Spiegel and their whole family tree's full of sinners. And then I go and I marry a Cribier and their whole family tree's full of sinners and sure enough, we've got two little sinners. This keeps happening. And that's kind of the way it works, right? They, they get the flattering and they get the unflattering. But here's the cool thing about our relationship with God as his children. None of the unflattering stuff comes from him. None of the negative characteristics come from him. In fact, anything good in us is what comes from him. And so, with God, there's no way that we can be like him and that not be a good thing. It's always a good thing to display his character. There might be character attributes that Canon could see in me that he could display that would be bad. There's nothing like that with our Heavenly Father. And if we don't bear the resemblance of our God and our character, we have to ask at some point, are we legitimate sons and daughters of God? See, those at peace make peace. Those who know they're loved by God love others. Those that are forgiven, forgive. Those that have received mercy, show mercy. And those that are at peace with God are peacemakers. And it's not always easy. It's not always automatic. Listen, sometimes peacemaking is a humbling thing to do. For Jesus, it meant becoming a man, Philippians 2. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, he became a man. For us, sometimes it just means saying we're wrong or we're sorry. But peacemaking is usually humbling. Sometimes it's the loving thing to do. In love, Christ came to us. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. In love, he went to the cross for us and laid down his life for us and called us his friends and we need to let love motivate us to take the gospel to lost people and to stand in the gap between two people and to, and to heal broken relationships. Sometimes it's the only loving thing we can do. Sometimes it's the one loving thing we need to do. Sometimes it's a sacrificial thing to do. Jesus, for him, that meant laying down his life on the cross and bearing our sin, making peace between God and man. For Jesus meant the cross and being a peacemaker for you and I sometimes means sacrificing, dying to self getting the black eye because we intervened, because we cared enough that many times we don't deserve. But peacemaking is always the obedient thing to do. 
Philippians 2.8 says Jesus became obedient to the point of death. His death for us on the cross was an act of love, but it was also an act of obedience because it was God the Father's plan. And Jesus said yes to the Father. And peacemaking is always God's plan for us as much as depends on us. Sometimes that means taking the gospel to someone. Sometimes that means reaching out to someone, forgiving someone, mediating peace between two people. And sometimes it's messy. What are your next steps to peace this morning? What next step do you need to take? Maybe you need to take a step of peace in Christ. (laughs) You need to take a step of faith in Christ. You, you, You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. Maybe your next step is a step of peace towards someone. Maybe it's towards them with the gospel, right? Maybe it's towards them with forgiveness. Maybe it's towards them with repentance. Maybe it's... Maybe, though, you need to take a step of peace between two people. And you need to say, enough's enough. I love you both. This has got to end. You say you're a Christian. You say you're a Christian. This has got to stop. And sometimes we have to do that. What would be your step this morning? Is there a step of peace you need to take? There's one I know we always need to be taking. We always need to be stepping towards others with the gospel of peace, with shoes, our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Let's pray.